Christmas is a time of anticipation unlike any other time of year. Kids are counting down the days until Christmas. Weeks in advance, we start buying presents. We plan parties and family gatherings. We decorate. We sing special songs. We have special services. Christmas rarely, rarely sneaks up on anybody. And that's a good thing. When we mark the coming of Christmas through decorations and songs and special events, we remind ourselves of the anticipation that led up to the first Christmas, to the birth of Jesus. That anticipation, that expectation was created and cultivated by God's promises through his prophets. As far back as Genesis chapter 3 and all the way through the Old Testament, God was telling his people that he had something planned, that he was going to do something good for them, that he was going to send a savior, a king, to deliver them, to redeem them, to forgive them of their sin. And he was cultivating in them an anticipation and expectation of the day when that child would come and what good news that child would be and would bring. The title of this sermon, Looking for the Light, comes in part from a song that talks about how everybody is looking for some light. And I, I think that's true. That just about everyone in the world, that we're looking for light. We're looking for hope. We're looking for something good. But I want to show this morning how Isaiah, one prophet in particular, Isaiah, is telling people, encouraging people, not just to look for some light somewhere, but to look for the light, a particular light that God has promised to send into our darkness and to cultivate the hope that comes from knowing what God is going to do for our good. So I invite you to join me in the book of Isaiah, and we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 9. This is a passage that you often hear, at least in part, At Christmas, we're going to look at several verses of Isaiah chapter 9 and see what Isaiah has to say about the coming of the light and the coming of this child and the the hopes and expectations that are bound up with this promise. So it begins in verse 1. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, or Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, we have been talking throughout this Christmas series about the reality of darkness, and that that doesn't go away at Christmas, right? But also the, the hope, the expectation, the promise, the reality of the light that God has sent into the world in the midst of our darkness. And we see that reflected here in Isaiah, right? He's talking about gloom and anguish and contempt. These are heavy 
things, hard things. But Isaiah is pointing forward from what was true in the former time, he says in verse 1, to what is going to happen in the latter time, that is in the later period. So Isaiah is saying, I want you to, to look forward. What you have been experiencing is going to be behind you, and I'm telling you about something that is out in front of you that is going to be good that I want you to anticipate and look forward to. What is that? Verse 2. He says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And just like we were talking about with the kids a few moments ago, nobody likes to be in the dark. Nobody wants to live in a land of darkness. Nobody wants their lives to be characterized by gloom and darkness. And so Isaiah is saying, I've got good news for you. Those who have lived in darkness, those who have dwelt in gloom, a great light is going to shine upon them. God is going to light up their land, their world, where they have been dwelling in darkness. And when that happens, there's going to be Joy, as you would expect, right? Verse 3 says, You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So when this light comes, with the coming of the light, the shining of the light into the darkness, there's going to be great joy, the kind of joy you would have when you've brought in the harvest, the work is done, the fruits of a whole season of labor have come to fruition, and you're, you're ready to enjoy those and celebrate the kind of joy you have when you have been victorious and your enemies are defeated, and now you get to, to bask in the victory, that kind of joy, God says, is going to characterize my people when I send my light into their darkness. And why is there going to be so much joy with the coming of this light? Is because with the coming of the light, there's also going to be freedom. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, for the yoke of his burden, here's why they're going to be so joyful, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So the reason why they're going to be so joyful is because there's going to be freedom. They're going to be released from their bondage and oppression. Verse 5 says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, there's going to be an end to their oppression, right? The rod of the oppressor is broken. And there's going to be an end to conflict because they're not going to need their warrior boots anymore. The garments rolled in blood, all that is going to be Burned up, it's going to be fuel for the fire because there's going to be no need for any of that anymore because the conflict and the oppression has come to an end. Their enemies have been defeated, their oppressors have been overthrown. And how is all this going to happen? How is the light going to come? How are they going to be set free? How are their oppressors going to be defeated? How are they going to be released? From this bondage, verse 6, For to us a child is born. To us 
A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All this is going to happen. This peace, this freedom, this joy, this deliverance is all going to happen when this child is born. A child worthy to be called Mighty God. Not just any child. Not even just any child who would one day become king. But a divine child born as a man. God the Son Come to take on flesh. When he comes, God says, I will shine light on the people who have dwelt in darkness. I will give joy to people who have lived in gloom. I will bring freedom to people who have been oppressed. And there will be peace. I notice it says in verse 7, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Think of that. No end. To the increase of peace. He says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is what I want you to anticipate, God is saying through Isaiah. To a people living in hardship, difficulty, darkness. He says, one day I'm going to bring that to an end. I'm going to bring light into your darkness. I'm going to set you free from the oppression of your enemies. And I'm going to do it through the gift of a child who will be my own son, who will sit on David's throne, who will reign with justice and righteousness, who will establish peace, and no one will ever bring an end to it. No one will ever overthrow his kingdom. No one will ever send the world into turmoil again. He will establish a permanent and lasting peace. That's what everybody's looking for. Though they don't always know how to name it. Some people think if we could just elect the right president, the right congressmen and women, the right, if we just get the right Supreme Court justices in there, we'd have it. Some people think if we just had less politics and less government, we get there. But the reality is, the only one who can bring this kind of permanent peace is Jesus. And if we're looking for that anywhere other than in Him, we're looking in the wrong place. Only Jesus can bring this level of peace. Doesn't mean we shouldn't care about the other things in politics, all that. I'm not saying we shouldn't care. I'm just saying, where do we put our hope? Where do we put our focus? Where, where is our longing aim? It needs to be aimed ultimately at Jesus because only He can do these things for us. This is why the angel Gabriel tells Mary with the words of Isaiah 9 in the background. He says to Mary about the son she's going to bear. He says, He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Only Jesus can do this. Now you might say, looking at Isaiah 9, say, that sounds like though, that all that hope and joy and freedom and everything, that sounds like that's aimed just at Israel. 
And, and that seems a little too narrow for us, right? Because we're not Israel. So is there hope for us? Is there light for us? Is there deliverance and freedom for us? Well, if we keep reading through the book of Isaiah, we find that this hope he's promising is not a hope only for Israel, but also for the nations, also for the Gentiles. So if you flip over to chapter 42, um, chapter 42 gives us another angle on the same story. Another perspective on the same promise of light. And Isaiah 42, beginning in verse 1, he speaks of this child now as his servant. Right? He says, Behold my servant whom I, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Let's pause there for just a moment. Right, God's talking about a special servant he's going to send, one that God has chosen, one whom God delights in, whom God loves. God's Spirit is going to be upon this servant. And it says He's going to be gentle. Right? He's not going to break a bruised reed. He's not going to quench a smoldering wick. He's going to be gentle. He's going to be patient. But He's going to be just. He's going to bring in righteousness and justice. And then verse 5 says, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. In other words, all the earth is His and all the people on it are His. And here's what He says, I am the Lord, verse 6, I have called you in righteousness. I will, He's speaking to the servant here, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations, not just for Israel, right, but a light for the world. And how is this servant going to bring light to the world? Verse 7 says, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So those who are blind, in other words, who, who live in darkness, they have no light. He's going to give them sight, give them the light, right? Of being able to see. Those who dwell in prisons. Dark prisons. He's going to bring them out. Of those dungeons. He's going to bring them into the light. Not just from. His people Israel. But from all the nations. Later in chapter 49 verse 6. He says. I will make you as a light for the nations. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. These, these pictures of. Blindness receiving sight and imprisonment being set free. These are images of salvation. Images of what God does when He delivers someone from sin. He, he turns on the light. He opens your eyes. He sets you free. And Isaiah is saying, there's a servant coming. There's a child coming who's going to do this for people among all the nations. Bring light into their darkness. Deliver them from oppression, from imprisonment. 
And again, this is all about Jesus. The servant he's talking about is Jesus. This is why Simeon says in Luke chapter 2, remember when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple after he was born? And Simeon sees him, and it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Christ, until he saw the Lord's salvation. Simeon takes the child Jesus in his arms, and he says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is also why God spoke at Jesus' baptism and said that just like, these are almost exactly the words from Isaiah 42, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Just like he said, behold my servant, my chosen in whom my soul delights. This is also why Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 12, he quotes that link from Isaiah 42, and he says, this is what Jesus is doing. This is, these are the words Jesus is fulfilling. He says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. In other words, Matthew and Luke and Simeon are telling us the good news for us is that the light that was promised, the the salvation, the revelation, the son, the servant that was promised to come in the prophet Isaiah has now been sent. He's already come. He's here. His name is Jesus. And through His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, He has accomplished salvation for all who trust in Him. All who turn to Him from the darkness to Him who is the light. That we don't have to look forward in anticipation to that coming day of salvation, that dawning of the light anymore, because the light has already dawned. The light is already here. And He is here for us to trust in. Here for us to turn to. Here for us to hope in. But that doesn't mean that we don't have anything to look forward to. Or to anticipate. Because... He came, was born, lived, died, rose, ascended into heaven, and now He's coming back again. And when He comes back, some of those things that were promised about His coming will finally come to fruition. You might say, okay, well, if Jesus has already come, and when He comes, He's supposed to bring this never-ending peace. Well, where is that? Because it's not here yet. Well, Jesus brought it in part but he, he will bring it in fullness at his return. You might say, well, where's this light that he promised? I mean, we might see some, some, we see some glimmers of it, but, but are we supposed to have like, light filling the whole world and there'd be no darkness anymore? Well, that will come at his return. And, and Isaiah talks about this as well. You turn to one more place in Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah not only points us forward to the coming of Christ, which for us now is... In the past, we look back to that with faith. But he also points us to what's future even for us. 
which is what will happen when Christ returns and we have a new heavens, a new earth, all things are restored. What's that going to be like? He talks about that in Isaiah chapter 60, and here's how he describes it, beginning in verse 1. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Here's how one Bible teacher summarized what Isaiah is saying there. He says, the light of God, the light of God is reflected by the people of God. Like a city gleaming in the light of the newly risen sun, they shine with a beauty that is not their own. That's what Isaiah is saying is going to happen. That God's light is going to shine upon his people. And as his light shines upon us, it is going to shine out and draw others to us and ultimately to him. And then if you skip down to verse 19 and 20, Isaiah uh, speaks here of of, uh, realities that John will pick up in Revelation 21 and 22 about what's going to happen at the end in in the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. He says in verse 19, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Part of what I'm trying to say in this series of sermons about the light and the darkness and the coming of Christ is that our days of mourning haven't ended yet. But the event that promises the end of our mourning has already taken place. Jesus has already come to secure our salvation, to bring the dawning of the light into the darkness of this world, And through his death and resurrection, we have everything we need for our salvation already paid for and secured. And all of that causes us to look forward to the day when he will come back and then our mourning will be ended. Then the darkness will be no more. We won't even need the sun or the moon anymore because God, who remember John tells us, is the light and in him is no darkness at all. God himself will be our light, will shine upon us with an everlasting light, and there will be no more darkness, there will be no more death, there will be no more mourning. So in one sense, the anticipation of Christmas is behind us, right? Because Jesus has already come. But in another sense, the anticipation of of Christmas remains in front of us as we look forward to the day when everything Jesus purchased for us in his first coming comes to its complete fulfillment at his second coming. And as we look forward to that day, we say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray.